Happy New Year. Let's stand together and sing.
again um, I, I thought it'd be neat to hear from somebody that knew a, a thing or two about a new year uh, this past April Miss Ora McDowell who was the oldest member of our church at that point passed away at the age of 97 uh, she produced a book of poems when she was a spry 80 in the year of 2009 this poem new year This is the beginning of a new year. Every year becomes more dear with the passing of times. Like a clock when it begins to chime, time has passed away. We have a new beginning to live for God each day, but we are not in this world to stay. We have a heavenly home waiting for all the redeemed of God. No more on this earth we trod. Take each day at a time. Live it as God would have us to. Then when life is over, we will go to heaven too. To be with Jesus who gave us life for us, we must believe in him and always trust. Amen. Second um, Corinthians 4. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken. Struck down but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. Knowing that he who, who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people that may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, temporary. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Let's sing by faith. By faith we see the hand of God. In the light of creation's grand design. Oh 
by faith the prophets saw the day when the long-for Messiah would appear with the power to break the chains of sin and death and rise triumphant from the The church was called to go in the power of the Spirit to the lost, to deliver captives and to preach good news in every corner of the earth. We will stand as children of the promise. We will fix our The power of the gospel shall prevail, for we know in Christ all things are possible. Thank you, Jesus, for all who call upon his name. We will stand as children of the promise. We will fix our eyes on him, our soul's reward. Amen. You can be seated. Well, good morning. Take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Psalm 90. Psalm 90. In just a few moments. Joel Bradshaw, one of our elders, will be leading us in our time in the Word this morning and working through that text, and we'll uh, read through it now and and pray before that. Um, But as you turn there, just a couple of announcements. Uh, Of course, next Sunday we will return to our regular schedule, uh, Sunday school again at 9 o'clock, our service at 1030, and our student ministry will begin meeting uh, again on Sunday evening. So um, just be ready for that, ready to get back into the normal routine. Um, If you will look at the back of your worship guide this morning, um, we hope that your life groups will get kicked back off uh, this this coming week. Um, Want to let you know you need to be paying attention this week. Uh, We're going to be making a change in our life group schedule this year. I'm going to be doing something a little bit different. Uh, We're pretty excited about it. And we are also going to be offering an evangelism class going to be walking through Sam Chan's uh, Evangelism in a Skeptical World. Uh, it's a class that I've led uh, a few, few times in a few different places. We've led it here before, um, but I think it's one of the best uh, books that's been written on evangelism in, in, in quite some time. Um, and that's going to come on the heels of our, our sermon series last fall through discipleship. We broke down how we pursue discipleship and how we are kind of thinking through that and everything that we do here at Westwood. And uh, so we wanted to offer a, a class on evangelism. Uh, so that's going to be beginning pretty soon. So be on the lookout for that. And this week, as you gather in life groups, uh, we're not going to have questions that pertain so much to the sermon today. Of course, you are free to reflect on the sermon as you as you want to. But um, I want to challenge you to look through these questions on the back of the worship guide as we 
flip the calendar to a new year. Uh, there are just some questions on there that will lead you into thinking about reflecting on 2022 and thinking about 2023. I know for most of us, we think about this this time of year. We think about resolutions and new commitments and recommitments that we want to make. Um, so I hope that these questions will be beneficial to you as you do that. And uh, that can be good discussion this week in your life groups. But be, be uh, paying attention this week as we'll be making those announcements and, and we want everybody to be informed. Let's read through Psalm 90 together. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you and our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord. How long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord, our God, be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Will you pray with me? Father, the turning to a new year reminds us of so many truths about who you are. It reminds us as we reflect backwards just of your goodness. Lord, as we reflect on times of suffering and difficulty that we have faced, we are reminded that you are in every season, that you are always near to us, that your presence never leaves us or abandons us. Your love never fails us. We are never separated from your love and that you are working all things for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose, that you are working in a particular way, even in the midst of our suffering and hardship and struggle to conform us to the image of Christ. Lord, we're reminded that in Christ, you are making all things new and that presses our hearts forward. It causes us to focus forward in hope, hope that is anchored in the reality of a new heavens and a new earth that Jesus will recreate when he comes back. Lord, we look forward to that day when you will do away with sin once and for all 
And its consequences will be gone once and for all. There will be no threat. There will be only peace. And we will dwell completely in your presence. Oh God, anchor our hearts in that hope. Anchor our hearts in that truth this morning as we consider that. Lord, we are reminded through this song of your omniscience. Lord, you are all knowing. You are all wise. You never learn. God, you know our hearts. You know our inward Frames our, our, our everything that goes on in our hearts and our minds, Lord, the things that we may even think are secret, nothing is secret before you because you see those things. Lord, we're reminded when we think about that of our iniquity and our sin, but God, we're also reminded of how great a Savior Jesus is who has redeemed us from bondage to sin, who has taken on himself our sin And absorbed every drop of your wrath for our sin. For those who have placed their faith in him. Lord we're reminded that in him we are made righteous before you. In him we are restored to right relationship with you. We are reconciled to you. Oh father I pray that this year would be marked by our abiding in that reconciliation. Lord that we would walk day by day. Abiding in you through your word. Through prayer. God, I pray that this year would be a year of sobriety for us as you give us spiritual eyes to see the reality that our physical eyes cannot see. God, we are reminded of your goodness today and we praise you for it. We thank you for it. But God, we're also reminded of your holiness. You are a holy God. So God, I pray that even this morning as we sit under your word, as we sing your word, as we pray your word, God, I pray that each of us would be led into repentance. God, to live in the forgiveness that is ours in Christ. I pray that if anybody is here this morning that has not experienced that, Father, that your word would draw them to yourself today. Lord, that today would be the day of salvation for them, that they would put their faith in you and that they would kick off this new year by inaugurating that walk in you to be united with Christ and made right before you, God, through faith. So, God, we thank you for this gift, this treasure that we have, this privilege that we have to gather together to worship today. Father, I pray that we would do that in spirit and in truth. I pray that you would be with your servant Joel this morning as he stands before us and breaks this word open before us. God, I pray that we would respond to your word in a way that would honor you and be sensitive to your spirits working in our hearts. God, we know that we don't have to invite you into this room this morning. You are here. You have invited us into your presence. And God, we're thankful for that. Help us to magnify you and to focus our hearts on you today as we worship together. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.
both of them. Oh, everybody heard that, didn't they? Good morning and Happy New Year. If you will, open your Bibles to Psalm 90 this morning. Psalm 90. Jason read the entire book for us. I just want to read one verse that I would hold as very exhortative and encouraging to us as we reflect on Moses' prayer. Verse 16 states, Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Let's pray together. God, we just come before you this morning and we rejoice that you've given us yet another minute, another hour, another day, another month, and another year to honor and to glorify you. So God, I pray that as we look into your word this morning, that God, you would give us clear minds, that we would think Upon the things of God. We would reflect upon your character. We would receive your word. And with our will. We would submit to you. So God I pray. That you this morning. Would just give me clarity of thought. And of speech. To honor your word. And to honor you. In Jesus name. Amen. You know Job. Whom many of us are well acquainted with. And he obviously was acquainted with grief, once said, Man who is born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. And many of us here this morning understand Job's sentiment with, the, with agony brought upon mankind in a world broken with sin. Right? The existence of our suffering in a world causes many to doubt the existence of God. Some of us from time to time doubt God's goodness or his love for us because of the pain that we have to endure because of a broken world that has fallen into sin. And this suffering oftentimes causes us to doubt God in such a way that we'll, we will pursue security, hope, and satisfaction elsewhere. We will chase many things, whether it be work, money, whatever it may be, in order to find ultimate security, hope, and satisfaction. You know, the Rolling Stones... I'm not old enough to really remember them, but they made the famous, the song famous, I Can't Get No Satisfaction, relating to the experience of the masses as they seek to discover satisfaction in materialism, fortune, and relationships that left them and leave us wanting. And as Jason Engel pointed out to me the other day, you know, the, the, the craziness is the word I would use of the masses who would want to be the people on stage singing about not having satisfaction, and they want what they got. That's how ludicrous we are, isn't it? We hear people, particularly the rich and the famous, talk about what satisfaction they don't have, and yet we want to be them. That's who we are. Broken, suffering, looking in this world for hope. You know, indicative of the world's emptiness and fluence in the church is the lack of joy seen in the average Christian life. And I've been a church member for, well, all my life in the sense of going to church. And been walking with the Lord now 
in obedience for, well, since I was 24, so about five years. And one of the things, what, what we often experience is the lack of joy in the life of believers. I mean, I've been a full-time pastor, a full-time youth pastor, and sadly, the church seems to lack the joy that everyone's really looking for. When the reality is we have it. And I believe what has happened is we've allowed the emptiness of the world to influence the church. And so, if you will, we are allowing the world's ideology of what satisfaction is to invade our personal lives that we will talk about in just a minute that affects the whole of the body. Psalm 90, I believe, provides the people of God with a reminder of how God himself is our satisfaction. Moses experiencing the agony of what we would think would be about approximately a hundred deaths a day in the wilderness. Pens this theologically rich psalm reminding himself and the nation of Israel of the true source of their joy. This prayer of Moses instructs the reader on how to respond in times of crisis and suffering, focusing our attention and our prayers on who God is. He's our refuge. He's our redeemer. He is our satisfaction. I I pondered this thought. He is not the source of our satisfaction. He is our satisfaction. It is Him that fills us. Amen? Internalizing the truths of Psalm, I do believe, in the church will result in our experiencing security, hope, satisfaction during both the triumphs and tribulations of life. Can I tell you this morning that I believe that if we are going to be a church that makes disciples of the nations and we're going to make disciples of our neighbors, they have got to see that the gospel is powerful in our lives. It's not just the word we speak to them. It's not just the way we articulate the truth of the word. It's the way that the word owns us. It's the way that we live it out in joy Despite our circumstances. You see, the setting of Psalm is believed to be during the wilderness wandering of the nation of Israel. God had promised the nation of Israel the promised land. A land that was rich with milk and honey. Right? It was a land that they had been longing for and hoping for. If they would have only obeyed in Kadesh Barnea. And did what God had told them to do. That by faith trusted God's word and entered into the land to conquer an enemy that looked greater to them than they could handle. Well, the reality is they couldn't handle it, but God could. And what we find is from the spies that went in that only two were full of passion to obey the living God. And what resulted was in their disbelief, and thus they disobeyed, it led to God's God's punishment. This is what Moses, I believe, is referring to when he says in verse 7, For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. I believe that Moses, in this prayer, is confessing that their sin has brought them to this place where they are wandering in the wilderness somewhat aimlessly, Without, if you will, hope. Without the fulfillment of the promise. You see, they're in agony, they're in pain. Can you imagine a leader like Moses every day being reminded 
And the people being reminded of the disobedience that occurred because before them were nearly 75 to 100 people dying every day. Why? Because God said every, every man over the age of 20 would what? They would die before they went into the promised land. So it was death after death after death. It was a crisis. It was a crisis of faith. Everything they had hoped for had been, if you will, set aside because of their disobedience. And yet Moses in this text reminds the people of God through his prayer in confession that God maintains his covenant with his people. And while he maintains his covenant, they would inherit the land. The ones who disobeyed would die in the wilderness. And generation after generation would die. But then one day, there will be a people who would enter to the promised land. This is the context in which, Paul, in which Moses is pinning Psalm 90. And so what we are faced with this morning is really a psalm that is pointing us toward an understanding of who God is in the midst of crisis. In the midst of some of the deepest and hardest sufferings of life, Moses, in his prayer to the Lord, is also instructing the nation of Israel, and I believe us today, is how we can have joy, or if you will, I think about it this way, how we can have joyful respite, joyful rest in the midst of life-altering crisis. It will come. If you're not suffering now, it's like life is this ebb and flow of going into suffering, coming out of suffering, going in and going out. Because we live in a broken world. Someone once asked, why do we talk about suffering? Why do I talk about suffering so much? Because the Bible does. It does. I did not expect to get into Psalm 90 and it really be a reflection of how to respond in suffering and crisis. But that's what they faced. And yet still we see a man like Moses full of faith. And I hope this morning that entering into a new year, what this will do for us as the church will help us embrace the reality of who God is from Psalm 90, enabling us to live in a manner that we are satisfied and God is glorified despite the circumstances that we encounter in life. Because folks, we need hope. Hey, look, I'm excited about the new year, right? I'm making some commitments. Three years ago, I made a New Year's commitment that I would shave my beard when I lost 15 pounds. We, we all make commitments. But I hope this will drive into us the reality, number one, that this year will be full of freshness, but it will also be full of suffering. There's going to be times that we'll be disappointed there's going to be times that our commitments will fail. People will fail us. How do we maintain a joyful rest in the Lord when suffering seems to be our way of life? Well, first I believe that what Moses confesses and what, what we need to see is this, that God himself is our refuge. Listen to chapter, I mean, Psalm 90, verse 1 through 6. Lord, you have been our dwelling place. In all generations. The, the idea of a dwelling place could also be translated a home 
a refuge. A place in which, if you will, while the circumstances are burdensome and the soul is heavy, Moses believed the Lord, the God of Israel, was the place of rest and protection and safety for the nation of Israel. The idea of being their home or being our home carries with it the place of rest. Man, there's a lot of days after work. I'm ready to get home. Amen? I worked till 10.30 Friday night. I, I didn't want to do anything but get home. I want to be in my place of rest. It's a place that we can just be ourselves and, and just be at ease. It's the idea here. It is a place of solitude is what Moses is pointing to. But I would also and simultaneously argue that it conveys the idea of safety, of refuge. Hey, listen, we should feel safe and secure in our homes. Now, we don't always feel that way because we live in a broken world. But it's still the place that we feel the safest, the place of refuge. It is the place where we abide. And that is the idea being conveyed here. That Moses is acknowledging that the Lord has been, currently is, and always will be the safe abiding place for the nation of Israel. And I would say it this way. That the promised land was not the place that would ultimately bring them peace, rest, and safety. It was the Lord. It was God himself. He is our refuge, not the land. So even though we are wandering in the, in, the, in the wilderness, aimlessly knowing the land is right over there, and yet we're circling about in life, the nation of Israel could rest assured that their refuge was in the Lord and not in that land. He's acknowledging that God is the place of rest. Why is that? What makes God different than us? Can I just say this this morning that I think I need to be reminded of? Theology is important. Understanding what the text says about the nature and the character of God is important. Because it is He, or He is the one in whom we place our faith, and then we make our decisions based on His character. Amen? That's the essence of us Living out the gospel is believing who God is. And Moses says something about the nature of God. Listen to this in verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Moses is saying that he is eternal in nature. He has always been the same, and he will always be the same. There's a term we use for that called, he is immutable. He is unchanging in nature. The writer of Hebrews argues he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Unlike man who will return to dust. Listen to what he says. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. Verse 4, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. What is, what is Moses saying about this God who is their refuge, who is their abiding place, who is their home. I'll tell you what he's saying. He's saying, he is the one in whom I can faithfully rest despite the circumstances that surround me because he will never change. His covenant is always the same. And he will never, never leave his covenant promise. I can rest in that. I can hope in that. I can find refuge in that. 
We as the church oftentimes really base our hope on this place called heaven. Now, I'm not against the fact that there is a heaven, but I tell my children all the time, I don't want to go to heaven unless the Lord Jesus is there. Just like the promised land, I do not want to be in the promised land unless the Lord Jesus is there. If I was the nation of Israel, why? Because he's the eternal one. He is the one in which we find hope and security. I believe the New Testament parallels this point by pointing us to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who is eternal. Listen, he is the one in whom Moses believed the promised one, the Lord. He is the one that Moses by faith believed was coming. That we can look back in Genesis 3.15, which by the way Moses wrote, and see and understand that Moses is looking forward to the day in which the king would come. The Redeemer God would dwell in our midst. That's exciting. Because it means if God did do what he said he was going to do from the Old Testament, then what he said from the New Testament, even though we have not yet seen it, he will do. And thus, we can rest safely and securely in him. That's the idea here. The eternal God, he came as the God-man who would be our ultimate refuge and our home. Listen, the idea here is abiding in God. Abiding in Christ. Resting in Him. I, I would argue that Moses is saying exactly the same thing that John is saying in John 15, 1 through 11 in his apostle, I mean, in his, in his apostle, in his gospel. <clears throat> John 15, 1 through 11. The Lord Jesus writes to his disciples, and for us today, he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Church, can I tell you, based on the words of the Lord Jesus this morning, and based on what I believe Moses is saying in Psalm 90, is this. You will not experience abiding joy and refuge without obedience to the Word of God. Abiding equals obedience. It means that I am taking God at His word, and even if I cannot see immediate results, I will continue to submit, and I will continue to obey. That doesn't always feel good. Amen? I read Ephesians 5 and some other texts and see what God commands and instructs me to be as a husband. 
And I think, I don't know that I want to be like that, God. My personality doesn't lend itself that way. You know what the Spirit of God says to me? I don't care about your personality. I care about your obedience. Amen? You know, I'm an, I'm, I am an extrovert if nobody in here understands what that means. I like to talk a lot. I just do. I love to be around people. But yet the Scriptures teach me that there are times that I need to be alone with the Lord. And it's sometimes hard for me to stop what I'm doing, stop engaging people, stop looking on the Internet for whatever I'm studying or looking at, and, and just dive into the text and be alone with God. And yet, against my personality, against my bent, the Spirit of God says, stop and listen and hear. Our personalities can never be an excuse for lack of obedience. Abiding is obeying. And Moses and crying out to the Lord and praying through this is saying, God, you are our refuge. You are eternal hope. And by faith, he is obeying. Joshua and Caleb never stopped obeying, even though they were suffering right alongside of the people who disobeyed. He is our refuge. He is our abiding place. He is the one in whom we must find refuge and hope. Secondly, I believe that Moses points this out in an ever so um, slight way in verse 7 through 11 or 12. Sorry, He says, for we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days in order that or with the result that we may get a heart of wisdom. God himself is our redeemer. Moses acknowledges to the Lord that they, what they are experiencing and who they are and where they are. He acknowledges that the Lord is with them in the midst of where he's at. And they're experiencing crisis and suffering because of their corporate disobedience. They've disobeyed the Lord and thus they're in the wilderness. And so he's talking about their sin having a result in their life whereby they are wandering and ultimately dying because of their disobedience. Might I add this, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, that the obedient were suffering alongside of them. Though of the, 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 obedient was, the obedient Joshua and Caleb were suffering right along the ones who had disobeyed. They too were wandering in the wilderness, even though they had obeyed. Church, I want to remind you this morning... That your sin just doesn't affect you. It doesn't. As much as you think it does, as much as you would like for it to, it doesn't. It's never isolated. Your sin affects those around you. Amen? It's not always, our suffering is not always, if you will, a direct result of our immediate sin. But it is a result of sin in some way, whether it's corporate, familial, or relational. What we decide affects all of us in our sphere, everyone in your sphere of influence. You see, God's anger at their disobedience in Cadiz Barnea had brought about the current judgment of wandering and ultimately death. 
And they saw this every day. And Moses in his prayers acknowledging that the Lord sees all their sin and ours. Nothing is hidden from him. Nothing. He sees it all. Moses then goes to... Um, and aligns with Job when he says that the years of man are but toll and trouble. I think specifically he speaks here about the limit of the age of man being 70 and sometimes 80 due to the curse that ensued by disobedience. He's not given this universal age that most people will die when they're 80. What he's speaking of, I believe in particular, is that people were dying at an early age because of their disobedience within that 40 year span. Every man over the age of 20 would perish before they entered the promised land, save two, Joshua and Caleb, because of their obedience. With such an acknowledgement of sin, and this is, this is what we need this morning to acknowledge in our lives, that man is sinful. We are rebellious, and because of that, we need redemption. We need God the Redeemer, to speak directly into our life that we may be able to obey Him in every way. With such an acknowledgement, Moses pleased to the Lord. He says, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. You know what's really difficult? It's really difficult for us to embrace our mortality. We really think we're going to live forever. I run and exercise every day because I feel like it's going to extend my life. That was a joke. Right? It's hard for us to embrace our mortality. It's hard for us to think about one day that we will die. We are frail. We are feeble people. And we are going to die. Thus we are going to suffer. Right? And I believe that it is a subtle cry from Moses for redemption of the people in the, even in the midst of suffering that they may have wisdom to serve Him all of their days. You know what's gracious about this from the work of God? That even though they were suffering because of their own sin and wandering in the wilderness and not able to enter the promised land, they, listen church, they could still live a life that was glorifying and honoring to God. That's what Moses is saying. Moses' whole life in this, in this time period was about the glory of God and whatever that was he wanted to bow down to. They were still able to obey. They were still able to glorify God. So he is pleading with the Lord to open the eyes of the nation. They may see how limiting their time was on the earth and utilize every moment to honor the Lord. James states this in the New Testament. He says, life is but a vapor. It's gone in an instant. Comparing the brevity of life to when you, in those cold days, breathe in the midst is gone. It's the idea that life is brief. And listen, this morning, young and old alike, we need to be confronted with our mortality. We only have a certain amount of time to honor and glorify God. One day we'll be gone. One day we'll be forgotten. But what we do for the kingdom will be for eternity. The writer of Proverbs writes this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Listen, there is, and that's what Paul, Moses is pleading, that he would, the Lord would open their eyes, that they may have a, a wisdom in their heart, and seeing the limit of their days, so that they then would redeem the time 
and use it for the glory of God in their time in the wilderness. It's really difficult, isn't it? In the midst of suffering and in the midst of crisis, to even consider how that can be used to glorify God, isn't it? It's tough. Man, you're in pain. You're suffering. And it's really difficult for you to consider, even for a moment, that God is using this for your good and for His glory. It takes wisdom to see that. It takes wisdom to understand that. And yet the reality is there's no wisdom except for from the Lord. And that wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. There's no fruitful wisdom without Him. And there's no fear of the Lord without a heart that sees the Lord. And no one sees the Lord without faith in Christ Jesus as Lord. And so there's a subtle cry here, I think, from Moses that these people would... See God as their Redeemer, the one who can, if you will, redeem their time that they may use it for His glory and that they may find joy in it. It's a subtle request from Moses for the Lord to extend grace in their time of need. He's focused on the glory of God in the midst of intense suffering. Verse 16, as I read when we started, states this. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Moses, in the midst of suffering, is not focused on comfort. He's not focused on the land, but he's focused on the glory of God. This morning, I encourage and exhort the church this new year to ask these questions that has been laid out really in our um, in our life group questions, how can I use every day and every moment to the glory of God? How can I experience God in a different way this year? How can I ensure that every day is a life filled with obedience? Hey, listen, man is frail and feeble. At the core, we are sinful. We are full of iniquity. Thus, for our time to be redeemed, for our days to be useful and fruitful, we need God as our absolute Redeemer. We need Christ Jesus. We need the Gospel to fill our hearts. We need the Lord Jesus to redeem us from sin, that we may live for the glory of God in a broken world. Paul exhorts the church in Ephesians 5, 15-16. He says, Look then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use. I, the word redeeming comes to mind here. The time, because the days are evil. We're frail and we're feeble. I was reminded of that this week as we got bombarded with work. And I found myself doing plumbing. And I am not the greatest plumber. In fact, I haven't worked in the field for quite some time every day. And um, yesterday, I paid the price. I felt like I was my age, 35, and I really felt the reality of not exercising and not really physically working every day. It was a reminder of my frailty and of me being feeble and growing older in age. We are all there. Our time is limited. Our bodies suffer because of sin. Church, we need God to redeem us from sin in such a way that we redeem every moment of every day 
for the kingdom of God. It's not just the idea of God redeeming us so we can spend eternity in heaven. No, no, no. Young, young man, young woman, listen to the sound of my voice. You will find yourself being 47 and saying, what have I done with every minute of my life? It's gone. I felt in my mind, I feel like I started yesterday. In my body, it's apparent I didn't. And then you ask the question, what have I done for the glory of God? Where is the time gone? Listen, this morning, maybe you're at the sound of my voice and you've never to this date surrendered your life to Jesus Christ as Lord. He is calling you to Himself so that you can, for all of your days... Find joy and satisfaction in Him so that every moment of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year of your life can be used for His glory. He doesn't just want to redeem you so you can go to heaven. He wants to redeem you so that you can redeem your time to be used for the greatest joy ever. And that is living for the glory of God. Maybe you're 80 and in this congregation this morning you've never trusted Christ. God wants you to redeem the time by surrendering your life to the God-man. Jesus Christ, the Redeemer. You see, Moses understood something we need to be reminded of and we need to live in the reality of. Is that God is our Redeemer. If our life will be useful, it can only be useful in Him. And nowhere else, and in no one else. Last but not least, and I think it culminates in verses 14 through 17 with Moses praying this. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. In other words, God, redeem our days. All these days of affliction, God, redeem them that we may be joyful in you. Even in the midst of suffering. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to to your children. In other words, open our eyes to see that if we are satisfied in you... That we will be filled with joy. One can imagine that Moses, like us, struggled to be joyful in the times of crisis. The nation of Israel was negative before entering the wilderness. Can you imagine what they were like while in the wilderness? I don't know about y'all, but I've been around some negative people, and I don't want to be with them in the midst of their suffering. I don't want to be with them in the most difficult parts of life. But yet, here's Moses. Right? For 40 years, he is walking in the wilderness leading these obnoxious people, these negative people, through the wilderness without aim, knowing they're going to die. And he's got to be joyful. I don't know about y'all. I've been a leader. I am a leader. That is not an easy task to maintain your sanity. Right, Jason? In the midst of leading people sometimes, it's tough. We all grow negative, right? Some of us just have more of a disposition to that way, but we will not get into that in this sermon. It stifles the heart of a leader. And I believe that Moses being very personal here, 
when he pleads to the Lord about satisfying his heart. But you see, Moses understood that his joy had an eternal source and not a temporary source. He acknowledges that he and they need God to satisfy the longings of their heart. Yeah, look, the promised land was a place of beauty. It was a place of plenty. However, as I stated before, that is not the place that they're going to be satisfied. They will only be satisfied in union with God. They will only be satisfied by seeing God as the source of their satisfaction. Listen, Moses understood something we as a church need to understand this day, individually and corporately. Satisfaction is not about a, lo- about a location, it is not about circumstance, and it is not about possession. It is about a person. It is about one who can satisfy and will never fail to satisfy us. One day the promised land will pass away. One day everything we have will burn and pass away. But he had reminded the nation of Israel and himself that God is eternal. The source of satisfaction had an eternal source and he was God himself. He speaks here of being satisfied. It satisfies us in the morning with your steadfast love. God's steadfast love is his covenant love. It is God being committed to lavish you in his love even when we do not hold up our end of the commitment. Amen? Listen to this in Psalm 89. This is verse 30. The, in context of Psalm 90, the psalmist writes, If his children forsake my law and do not walk according to my rules... If they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. But I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. Speaking of the Davidic covenant, I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever. His throne as long as the sun before me. Like the moon, it shall be established forever. A faithful witness in the skies. God's steadfast love is his covenant commitment. That regardless if the nation of Israel disobeyed, God will do what he says he's going to do. Amen? That's beautiful. You know why? We right here as a congregation sit, redeemed, the redeemed people of God, because God's covenant love to David, even though Israel sinned and landed in the nation in the wilderness, wandered for 40 years, God never, ever, ever went back on his word. Amen. So you can trust it today like they trusted it then. That is his steadfast love. Moses understood church. That joy was interlinked, interconnected, eternally interwoven with a heart that is satisfied in God himself. You cannot have joy that will last through crisis and suffering if you do not have Jesus. It just doesn't happen. Why? Because he alone is the source of our satisfaction. Our hearts long for Him, and only in Him or in union with Him can it be satisfied. That's what Augustine once wrote. 
I didn't quote him directly, but that's what he taught and argued and has been passed down. God has created man to be satisfied. I'm hungry right now. I am. And the Lord in some way is saying, when I get home, it's time to eat. Amen? And I'm going to eat till I get satisfied. I'll probably eat longer than I need to be satisfied, but you get my drift, right? We want relationships so we can in some way find satisfaction. God has created us with passions and hungers. But ultimately, they are satisfied in union with Him. The New Testament conveys this idea when Paul writes that we are blessed in union with Christ Jesus in Ephesians chapter 1. I believe this is why John can write in 1 John 1, 4 that they write about the life and work of Christ that our joy may be complete as he understood that joy came with being satisfied in Christ through intimate fellowship with him. That's what he talks about in 1 John 1, 1 through 4 is being in fellowship with God. This intimacy, this closeness that brought about satisfaction that ended in joy. This morning, church, as we move to a close in this service, we must understand that our source of satisfaction is God Himself. And we've got to abide in Him. We've got to be in union with Him if we're going to be satisfied. What does that mean? That means obedience. It means when it is difficult, I still obey. Can you imagine for a moment with me how Joshua and Caleb felt in the midst of wandering with all these people who had disobeyed? They knew that they could go into the promised land and conquer with, the, with God with them. But yet... The nation of Israel chose not to, and Joshua and Caleb paid the price. Can you imagine just for a moment? I don't know how they, the Bible doesn't tell us Joshua and Caleb's grievances in those ways, but I think I would be, wouldn't you be? I'd be mad. I'd be upset. But yet, even when we are facing a crisis in that way that may not have been brought directly on us by our own disobedience, The scriptures teach us to be committed to obey and to abide in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're going to experience joy this morning, you have got to leave this congregation this morning and live in the reality that God alone will satisfy you and no one else and nothing else. Moses understood this. That's why he writes... Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Can I tell you this morning, God wants to satisfy your soul in such a way that you are full of joy and you are glad all of your days. Can I tell you from personal experience, as most of you know, suffering's hard. Tears come, pain hurts, and you feel alone. But can I tell you this morning, even in those moments, if you will focus your attention on who God is and choose to rejoice in who He is, He will make you glad. He will fill you with joy. Not because of the circumstances. Not because everything's going to turn out all right. Because it doesn't always turn out okay. But because of who He is, our refuge, our home, 
our Redeemer, and our satisfaction. You see, Moses aligns with Job in that man's days are full of trouble because of sin. However, he acknowledges that there is rest in the Lord during the days of trouble because of who the Lord is. Moses provides an insightful prayer for the church and for the nation of Israel as we enter into a new year. That it's not about commitments that we might not be able to fulfill. But it is about a commitment that we can fulfill. And that is absolute, undistracted obedience to the Lord Jesus. Resting in Him. Finding Him to be our refuge. Listen, if we believe that God is our refuge, He is our Redeemer, and He is our satisfaction, then we can have joyful respite in life-altering crisis. Not just rest, joyful rest. And there's a difference, isn't it? Brothers and sisters, don't let this truth, these truths about who God is, pass by. I invite you when you leave this morning, consider the text. Consider who God is. Do not make mere mental assent to this word. Submit to it. And God guarantees that our life will be full of joy and purpose. Let's pray together. God, we are grateful this morning that you give us hope, security, and satisfaction in the midst of a broken world. And so, Lord, I just pray over your church that your word would fill our hearts in such a way that we live our lives in obedience for your glory and that we may experience true joy in the midst of some of the most difficult life crises. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together, O great God of highest heaven. Let's sing. Let's respond. The altar's open. Respond as the Lord leads. O great God of highest heaven, occupy my lowly heart. On it
10 minutes of your time to undecorate. It's not the most fun part of, of, of the holidays, of Christmas, but we need to undecorate. So I'm looking at Brenda. She's going to tell us what to do if you're willing to help come this way after the prayer and let's, uh, let's knock it out quick. Um, and I think that's the only announcement. I, no. Excuse me. Oh, yes. Please go by the Christmas card table and pick up your Christmas cards. Okay. Let's pray together. Lord, uh, thank you for... This uh, time of worship this morning, thank you for this message from our brother. Lord, I pray that you'd help us make the most of the days you give us. Lord, that we would uh, redeem the time. Lord, that you would help us to use the time you give us for your glory. Lord, that we would know the joy of our salvation, that we would walk with you. Lord, uh, that we would look to you and not to the counterfeits all around us that constantly try to gain our attention and distract us from what really matters. Lord, uh, you are the treasure in these frail jars of clay. Lord, we pray that you would show the surpassing power that belongs to you and not to us. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't lose heart, even though we will struggle this year. There will be difficulties, there will be pain, and there will be suffering. Lord, I pray that you'd help us not to lose heart. Even when our outer self is struggling, Lord, I pray that we would be renewed. Our inner self would be renewed day by day. And Lord, that you'd help us look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, the things that are eternal. Lord, satisfy us with your steadfast love. Lord, that we may rejoice and be glad in you all the days of 2023. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. 